Really Weird Stuff is a holistic Twin Peaks podcast. That means we discuss each episode within the context of the series as a whole. In other words, spoilers abound. Welcome to the first episode of Really Weird Stuff, a Twin Peaks podcast, hosted by me, Jessica Baxter, and... And me, uh, Amy Green, also known as Annie Malone. I'll answer to whatever. Still settling on a name somehow. Legally right now, Amy Green. Okay. Now, there are millions of Twin Peaks podcasts, I think roughly. I think it's roughly millions. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So why add another one to the fold? Well, one of the reasons is a personal desire And also, I feel like we're pretty well-versed in the Twin Peaks universe. And this one is going to be different than the other ones because we're going to talk about the whole shebang from the beginning. When you rewatch Twin Peaks after having seen The Return and Firewalk With Me (laughs) numerous times, you know, you just start to notice things and whether or not they were intentional I think eventually they are intentional, and certainly a lot in the return, all the callbacks are intentional. But David Lynch is just really good at making shit fit together, even if he's Mm -hmm. doing it piece by piece. Amy, what's your history with Twin Peaks? I'm an old, even though I don't look it, but... (laughs) (laughs) You sure don't. (laughs) This was 1990, right? Yes. So I was 18 when this show came on. So I already knew who David Lynch was because I was too young to watch Blue Velvet and I watched it on Spectravision in a hotel. So that (laughs) is a very specific time period. Definitely. (laughs) If you even know what Spectravision is, that's a really specific time period. So my brothers and I felt like we loved David Lynch. I think maybe just from that movie and uh, that's enough we to go so, on <laughs> well i mean i just don't think there was anything else we had seen by him yeah. yet twin peaks is before wild at heart right they were shooting yeah. simultaneously okay. but we were so psyched about this show that was going to be on network television <laughs> where you had to wait a week for the next episode where you had to sit through commercials unless you recorded it off your tv and then you could fast forward through the commercials <laughs> coming sunday april 8th she's dead Wrapped in plastic. 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks. The Los Angeles Times says Twin Peaks is certainly like nothing else on television. W.C. Fields would say it'd rather be here than Philadelphia. The Washington Post calls it unprecedented. This you gotta see. Bobby, did you kill Laura Palmer? Sunday, April 8th, from David Lynch, Twin Peaks. I watched it as it was released, watched the whole show, then saw Fire Walk with me in the movie theater, and then didn't watch again for however many years it took for them to do. And when The Return first came on, I didn't watch it when it first came on. I don't remember why, because I actually even had Showtime then, but I went through a phase where I just didn't watch TV at all. And so now I'm finally caught up. What's your history with Twin Peaks, Jessica? <laughs> 
Um, I am also an old, but was young when it came out. I would say probably a little too young for it. In 1990, I would have been middle school. It aired April 8th, 1990. The pilot was a two-hour movie, basically. Mm -hmm. I watched it with my dad because he was really excited about it. And he's always liked murder mysteries. Obviously, it's a lot more than that. But I don't remember my reaction to it too much other than I wanted to watch more. And then I remember my dad kind of fell away from it in the second season. And then I was just watching it by myself on the little TV we had in the kitchen. <laughs> that was where I watched shows my family didn't want to watch with me. And I would turn the lights off to make it all moody. And then um, I don't think I saw Fire Walk with me for a long time, though. You would have been too young for that. Yeah, that's probably why. So it was a long, long time later. But I loved it. And I remember being surprised because everything I heard about it was, it's terrible. Mm-hmm. And I was like, no, it's actually really fucking cool and explains a lot of stuff. And by that point that I saw that, I'd already seen Wild at Heart and was definitely very well sold on David Lynch. And then when The Return came out in 2017, it was like the best thing that happened to me that year. (laughs) (laughs) I fucking loved it. Every episode I watched at least two or three times. There was not a lot of appointment television in this day and age. Even in 2017, there wasn't. And I didn't have Showtime. Mm -hmm. I was like, I'm going to get it just for this because I don't want to wait. I wanted it as soon as I could have it. So that was very exciting. I kind of kept revisiting it and I was Diane for Halloween that year. Yeah, you were awesome as Diane. You really nailed that look. Thank you. (laughs) It was just so special. And I'm just so excited to do this with you because this has been my favorite show for such a long time and I feel like as many times as I've seen the episodes and as much as I've read about it I just find little things every time I rewatch that you know I didn't notice before or that didn't make an impact before even if I did notice them like a really interesting thing rewatching the series prior to starting this podcast was that I really had so much sympathy for Bobby. That is one of my biggest surprises on the rewatch is how Bobby's kind of one of my favorite characters in a way. Some episode we're going to have to get Logan on here. When I just recently went to rewatch the first season, I watched it with my teenager who's non-binary. So that's why I'm saying it that way. My 14-year-old Logan, who is a real champ viewer of things, you know. It's kind of incredible. really (laughs) notices things so I know I just throwing it out there that I've been watching it with a 14 year old and I feel like the teens are not great actors some of them, <laughs> you know but Bob, yes. Bob is so good he's like an asshole there's a lot of toxic masculinity from him but which he doesn't get from his dad which is interesting also interesting. <laughs> yes it's interesting how his dad is so sympathetic because his dad is like a lifelong military person which is yeah. not He's not a typical yeah, military yeah, dude either. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Bobby's so aggressive and all that, but you forget, like, he is really going through some major trauma himself. <laughs> yeah. And the trauma is from the town, really. Mm-hmm. Like, I think the reason he has all that toxic masculinity is because of the environment. It's not from the family. No, it's a logging town, and it's not a real town, but from what I know about Aberdeen, a logging town, which is not supposed to be Aberdeen either. It's, well, (laughs) we'll get into later where exactly Twin Peaks is, because it's it's kind of moved around the state from season to season. (laughs) Yeah, I I, I did have a question of what state line did Ronette cross. Her crossing straight mm-hmm. lines is how they could bring in the FBI. And I thought they were near the Canadian border. Well, okay. So I think in the pilot, they're supposed to be near Spokane. Coop okay. says he flies into Spokane and drives 
Oh, through right. Lewisport yeah, okay, yeah. to Twin Peaks. So I think she crossed into Idaho. Okay, so it's like the eastern borders. Yeah. But then later on, like in season two, Josie's like, I was just in Seattle for the day or whatever. So you can't spend <laughs> the day really in Seattle from Spokane. Yeah. So Aberdeen is kind of famous for being full of a certain kind of redneck that bullies artistic types, i.e. Kurt Cobain. Not that Bobby's like artistic necessarily, but he's definitely a more sensitive soul who clearly felt the need to put up a lot of fronts mm-hmm. to survive, literally, in some ways. Right. First of all, he has trauma because his girlfriend died. But also, he has trauma from that relationship. But at some point, you learn, like, the first time they had sex, she laughed at him or made fun of him. Laura had a lot of issues. She was always making him buy cocaine for her. I can see why he's, like, very confused. Like, what does it mean to be a man? You can see there's a lot of expectations on him. This is what a man is supposed to be. And it's very confusing, I think. Yes. (laughs) Joining us to talk about this episode (laughs) is Chris Brugos, my husband who I have made watch so much Twin Peaks with me. I'm an expert now. I'm really yeah. excited to be here talking about Twin Peaks. What's your history with Twin Peaks? I watched it with my friend Jared Wada and his mom. And we'd go to their house. It was on Thursdays. And I think we stopped watching it after the killer was revealed. Because I had never seen the second half of the second season. A lot of people did. Yeah. The was... ratings dropped off significantly at yeah, that point. Was, that's what I was talking about. How it was a mystery show. And there wasn't a show that had a mystery before this. Yeah. It was a serial. It was so popular when it was on. That was one piece of why it was so popular. It was just like wanting to know who did it. Obviously, I think it was like, also, people loved the weirdness. I loved the weirdness <laughs> the most. I think there were probably the two camps of fans, or the people who were more into the mystery and then the people who were more into the weirdness. You were into the weirdness, but you still stopped watching after the mystery was solved. Yeah, because I think the Wadas were more into the mystery part. Oh, <laughs> so you couldn't watch it at home? I just didn't want to. If I wasn't watching with my Twin Peaks watching, because no one was watching it at my house, so mm. I wouldn't have had anyone to watch with. I just I learned to watch it with a group. I yeah. did watch it in 19 19- 1994 again with my college friends. How? We had VHS tapes. The whole VHS tapes. The box, yes. The box that said Twin Peaks when you lined up all the My friend Faye had that as well. (laughs) Yeah. So the pilot episode was written by David Lynch and Mark Frost and directed by David Lynch. It was nominated for eight Emmy Awards, including Best Drama, Best Writing, Best Directing, Best Production Design. Best Actor, Kyle MacLachlan, Best Director, and Best Supporting Actress, Piper Laurie and Sherilyn Fenn were both, oh, both of them. supporting actresses. And Dwayne Dunham won the Emmy for Best Editing, and Patricia Norris won for Best Costume Design. So I guess none of those other people won anything. But the idea that was pitched to ABC was Lynch and Frost wanted to mix a police detective show with a soap opera. Oh, okay. And it was originally entitled Northwest Passage and set in North Dakota. But the fact that it was called Northwest Passage was confusing for ABC. So they're like, can we set it in the actual Northwest instead? Which they agreed to do and they revamped everything and they filmed the pilot for $1.8 million and agreed to shoot an additional ending to it so that it could be sold directly to video in Europe. And that's now known as the International Pilot. And it has like a solve the mystery ending where it's Bob, but it's not really Leland. It's just like this dude named Bob. <laughs> yeah. But that's the ending for the pilot? That's the ending for the international pilot. Not the one that aired on 
American television. That's just out there. It's actually on the Missing Pieces DVD. And it's like, who did it? Some guy. <laughs> totally. I mean, David Lynch did not want to do that. But basically, they were like, if we're going to give you this much money, you have to do this for us because we're going to be able to salvage it if it doesn't go. Okay. It's all about the money with these people. <laughs> so I don't get it. They're like, the crime is solved. It was this guy. Yeah. <laughs> well, okay. I can. I actually have a little synopsis you know, like, about the that. Pilot was supposed to work as a standalone. As a standalone movie, so they could sell it to Europe as the new David Lynch movie. This is known as extremely non-canonical, by the way. <laughs> what I'm about to say. So everyone, just chill. My gender's already up. <laughs> In the international version, Laura's mom, Sarah Bomber, has a vision of a mysterious man peering out from the bottom of Laura's bed. This man is Bob. Then Leland phones Lucy to say that his wife has seen the killer and wants Hawk to help her draw a sketch of him. Meanwhile, Agent Cooper receives a phone call from a mysterious man, this is Mike, who says he knows who killed Laura and also Teresa Banks the previous year. Poop, Hawk, and Sheriff Truman all head to the hospital to find Mike, saying that Bob is the killer and he's in the basement <laughs> performing a ritual. What? Everyone runs downstairs and Bob confesses, at which point Mike shoots him dead, and then seemingly dies himself. Which is something they bring back later as well. And then the whole thing ends with Agent Cooper's dream, as seen in the show's third episode. That's the only thing David Lynch liked about shooting this stupid ending, was that he later upcycled the footage from the dream so that's cool i'll see you again in 25 years it's really funny that like the network insisted on like you have to wrap it up in two hours <laughs> yes it's like actually this is gonna go on for 25 years and then some well yeah it's also funny because they're saying we will green light this mystery show that will drag out who the killer is but also you have to just blow your wad in this pilot just in case it is very weird i mean i guess they were just all so concerned about the bottom line back then. Were there a lot of mystery shows before this? I don't think there were like moody mystery shows like this. Well, I mean, it was like this. Yeah. Like, just even a season long crime to solve. I don't think so. I, think so. I can't think of any. It was all cop shows with episodic mysteries. Right. Maybe that was part of the thing too. They were like, I don't know how you're going to drag out who this killer is for so long when we're all used to tying it up in 45 minutes. Right. So yeah, that could be a part of their trepidation. We're going to talk about the episode now. It opens on the morning of February 24th, 1989, in the Washington town of Twin Peaks. Pete Martell leaves his home, the Blue Pine Lodge, kisses his indifferent wife, Catherine Martell, on the cheek. Meanwhile, Josie Packard is humming in front of a mirror. And then I really love Pete's line, the lonesome foghorn blows. The lonesome foghorn. I really like how they draw out... Pete walking by, seeing something, puts down his fishing gear. He knows something's wrong immediately. I just think it's just so well acted by Jack Nance. Oh, that whole so fucking thing. Yeah, even just his little, like, kiss to Catherine. I feel like he really nails it's half obligatory, but half true affection. And I like that he doesn't turn the body over or start unwrapping it. You know, he's just like, I'm calling this in immediately. Yeah, he knows what he must do. Lucy, Lucy, this is Pete Martell. Lucy, put Harry on the horn. When the police are finally there, he's kind of behind the log, like he doesn't want to get close to the body. 
But he doesn't go back in the house. It's interesting. No, yeah, he, he could go back in. Yeah. But he's sort of hiding himself. He is. And he kind of peers around the log a little bit from time to time. That big log is so incredible and striking. Yeah. It's actually still there. The Blue Pine Lodge is the Kiana Lodge in Paulsbo. Oh, I was wondering if that was oh. the yeah. sound. It seems like not really a lake. Yes. It's too much of a like sandy, rocky beach with tides to be a lake. It is the sound. And actually, the interior of the Kiana Lodge is what the Great Northern Interior was based on. That's all shot on a soundstage back in L.A. Yeah, Peter's just so shaken. It's just amazing the way he delivers. She's dead. Wrapped in plastic. Even though people laugh at that line, dead, wrapped in plastic, just because of Jack Nance's voice. So earnest with yeah. that phone call. Yeah. And you really believe that this is a guy who's not used to calling in murders and not used to seeing murders. Right. You know? Definitely. There's like a whole bunch of good acting in that opening sequence. But mm-hmm. I'd put him up there as one of the best grief actors. Jack Nance. In, in, the, in the opening sequence, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. So, Lucy informs Harry S. Truman, the sheriff, he has to make his way down to the Blue Pine Lodge, and he says to get Dr. Hayward out there and Andy to meet him there. Uh, I have a question. Yeah. Does Doc Hayward come to every murder scene? Yeah. (laughs) He's like the town pediatrician. (laughs) (laughs) He's like he's the only doctor. Right, and it's just like you need a... Doctor at the... I mean, there's the Calhoun Hospital. Right. There's There's doctors there. I I guess coroners don't go on site. (laughs) Or do they? They do. Well, Doc Hayward's like, should we get the coroner? Right. And he's like, yeah, she's been in the water, so... Yeah. (laughs) Which, like, I don't really understand what that means. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) You know the coroner. He doesn't like Coroners don't look at wet bodies. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to have to dry her off with a hairdryer before we get the coroner on this. (laughs) All evidence has been washed off this body. (laughs) You just need a pediatrician. I really like when Lucy is explaining which phone she's going to transfer it all to. Um, I'm going to transfer it to the phone on the table by the red chair. The the red chair against the wall. uh, The little table with the lamp on it. The lamp that we moved from the corner. The black phone. Not the brown phone. I know, that's such an interesting introduction to Lucy. Right. All the introductions are pretty spot on. Yeah, there's not a lot of inconsistency at all. Like, they don't change anyone's character from the pilot to later episodes. Right. Well, I would argue that they change Andy a little bit, and then he just gets dumber and dumber. Yeah. (laughs) At first, he's just kind of a bumbling, sensitive dude, and then by season two, he's like a fucking moron. I mean, he can't do anything. (laughs) That's true. They just a little bit there. Both he and Lucy are pretty comic relief. They just turned both of them into complete imbeciles. That like long drawn out explanation of which phone is very Twin Peaksy. This is something that happens all the time in Twin Peaks. Is like scenes take five minutes when they could take. Exactly. Yeah. 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 That's true. And I think David Lynch would have so many more of those in the original Twin Peaks, as evidenced by the return. He'd have so many more of those if they would have let him. I'm sure they made him cut so much. I think that's how he could have made it last forever. (laughs) (laughs) That lady would still be packing up her stuff from Gordon's hotel. (laughs) (laughs) She had to fix her makeup and put her shoes on. I know. She took her time. I want to feel like the direction of the scene was just take your time. I'm leaving. It's definitely take your time and I'm just gonna look at you good-naturedly. Tree chic. 
Anywho, our first introduction to Andy is that he breaks down crying while taking pictures of the scene, and Truman gives him shit, because Truman's the worst. Truman's not a good one. <laughs> oh, Andy. Oh, my God, Andy. Same thing as last year in Mr. Blodgett's bar. Give me the camera. Sorry. This is gonna happen every damn time. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. Oh yeah, I guess the Truman does give him shit. Is this uh, gonna happen every damn time? Every year. <laughs> every murder. <laughs> Probably every murder. Yeah. Yeah, but I mean, the last time was last year. Like, how often are people getting murdered in every day? Well, it's about to ramp up, but generally, it's not many. That's interesting to me because if this is part of your job, you should be able to take it. But also, it should be upsetting to see yeah. like a murdered teenager. <laughs> you came across a dead body like wrapped up like that. Yeah. It would be strange not to be upset by that. And Pete's crying and no one's yelling at Pete. Right. Well, <laughs> I think it's he's not a cop. Like, yeah. it's not his job to deal with this. Yeah. Well, that's why it's a cop. Right. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. A cab except coop. That's one of our mottos. <laughs> right. uh, is Andy a cab though? I mean, he's just well. He's not. He's just stupid. <laughs> I think the reason Andy doesn't count as a cab is because he shouldn't be a cop. He's a bad cop, but not like the usual bad. Yeah. Cop. David Lynch did work hard to redeem him as a cop. Actually. Oh, that's true. Like, he gets some good moments later. Later, and he actually gets to go to the White Lodge. That's true. He's totally yeah. chosen later. Mm-hmm. That's pretty special. Not yeah. everyone gets to meet the fireman. What's up with the girl who's got her eyes stone shut? Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. That's a very good point. I don't know why I forgot all about all of that. <laughs> Maybe because so many things happen in the show. Right. So then the next thing that happens is one of my favorite scenes. Cut to Sarah Palmer in the kitchen calling for Laura. And this is like the only time ever that we get to see Sarah Palmer act like a normal mom outside of some of the missing pieces. Laura, sweetheart, I'm not going to tell you again. Yes, I am. Laura! Laura! Before Sarah Palmer becomes Sarah Palmer... She's just like, God damn it, my teenager isn't coming when I call her. Don't make me come upstairs. And that scene really takes its time, too. Mm-hmm. I love it. I love that she's annoyed, but she's still, when she calls her, she's like, Laura, sweetie, you know, which is very nice. Like, I'm, yeah. I'm glad that that was the last thing she said before she knew that mm-hmm. she was gone. That even though she was frustrated with her, she was still affectionate. Yes. I think that Sarah knows a lot more than she lets on. So I think, yeah, she's a little annoyed, but then also she remembers, oh, yeah, my daughter's going through some shit, so maybe I should give her a break. After knowing the ending, both she and Leland know that Laura is dead before anyone tells them. Oh, I know. We'll get there. (laughs) It's okay. It's okay. But, like, I want to talk about that at length because of your brother's really interesting theory that really reshaped everything for me. So my two favorite things from that scene are the ceiling fan. I love that ceiling fan. It's so spooky. I literally can never look at a ceiling fan without thinking of that scene ever. 
Never, ever. Ceiling fans for me always are Bob is upstairs. And later on, it's the same as him focusing on any, like, electronics that are buzzing. Because it has, like, a sound. Mm -hmm. It's not just, like, a fan sound. It's kind of like an electrical sound. Yes. You don't really see until the return. There's a lot of buzzing electronics whenever things are bad. Yes, electricity is a huge indicator, I guess, of the presence of evil. So this is kind of when we start watching Sarah Breakdown. I'm really impressed with Sarah Palmer's recall of phone numbers. Right. The way she just like dials all those numbers by heart super fast. People used to have phone numbers memorized because you had to actually dial them. So she calls Bobby's house and Betty Briggs answers and says, well, maybe he's at football practice. And so then she calls the coach and the coach says, Bobby hasn't been there for weeks. Now come to think of it, as a matter of fact, he's been late every day this week, Mr. Palmer. And last week. I think even the week before. And then it's Audrey. Great introduction of Audrey. Walking out of the Great Northern Hotel where she lives. Getting into the back of a car. Being driven to school by some dude. <laughs> a chauffeur, I was. A chauffeur. <laughs> I guess there's a some job dude. title for that. <laughs> she got an Uber to school. <laughs> and then close up on the saddle shoes. Yes. And then it immediately cuts to the inside where we hear some bullshit about the mill. Yada, 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 Packard Sawmill, Norwegians, investments. I would argue that none of that's really all that important. Right. But it's kind of funny how much time is spent on the mill. Right. There's a lot of time spent out on it, but it's still not clear at all. But it's also always my understanding of anyone with that kind of job. Like, what do they do all day? Like, even you. It's like, yeah. what do you guys actually do? Business, business, business. Exactly. <laughs> I Business factory. So here is where we'll give it to what we wanted to talk about, which is you said your brother had a theory about whenever Bob is possessing Leland, he's got his tie oh, done right, up all right. the way. And then I also noticed that his hair is combed really nicely. Like later on when his tie is loose, his hair is always also messy. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, my brother Kevin did notice that. It's in season two, like, when Bob starts showing up in Leland. Like, when you see that happening, then mm -hmm. every time Bob shows up, it's right after Leland fixes his tie in the mirror. Like, he straightens his tie, mm -hmm. and then Bob shows up. So that was Kevin's theory. Yes. Was if you want to keep evil away, keep the tie messy. <laughs> but I think it's more than that. It's not right. just the straightening of the tie. Like, once you notice that, anytime you see him with his tie on it, whether or not he's fixed it. You can see it, because there's other scenes where you don't see him fixing his tie, but he's clearly Bob. Okay. So anyway, this is the first time we meet Leland, so we don't think anything of it. And he's at a business meeting. <laughs> but his tie is done up, and his hair is nice, and he says, my daughter is dead, before anyone tells him. Sheriff Truman. What? Who? What did you say? Oh, my God. Leland, we're ready to go with the contracts. 
throne. I don't understand. All he has to say is Sheriff Truman and Sarah knows. So there is an argument to be made that they put two and two together. Right. But at the same time, part of him does already know that she's dead. I mean, I think that's really well done because when you watch it for the first time, if that's the first thing you watch from Twin Peaks, I wouldn't have questioned that at all. His wife just called him to say she's missing. And then the cop walks in and is looking for him. And then when he sees him, he takes his hat off, you know, like the sober cop thing. I mean, I didn't think anything at all of that. I w- you know, yes. I wouldn't have. Then you watch this, like, like, how much does Leland know? How conscious is he of anything? I think he's probably subconsciously aware of everything, but not consciously consciously. Like, he won't admit it to himself. Well, anyway, my point with that, I guess, is to say that I don't think that Frost and Lynch meant for that to be a sign in the pilot. I think they meant for it to be parents' intuition and putting it all together. But retconning works on that one there's another point too where retconning works where he says i want to see what they did my little girl at the hospital and he's kind of not sobbing all that much Mm -hmm. like he doesn't really fall apart until the next episode right so do you think in the pilot they weren't planning that it was leland no i think they were but they just didn't have all those little shorthands worked out yet i think in this you have to introduce the eventual murderer in a pilot if you're making this show today, you'd want to do that. That's a rule. <laughs> if you're doing a dead girl show, you have yeah. to put the murderer in the pilot. It's not fair if you don't introduce them to the, like, the last episode, and no one wants to do that. But there are some other clues, because there's also when they find the diary, Leland says, Yes. Do you have to take that? Like, he wants to keep it. Do you know where the key to this is, sir? You have to take that turn it as soon as possible. Which, you know, works. Like, maybe he's attached to it or he just wants to keep it as a memory of his daughter. But it also works as him needing to get the evidence out of it before anyone sees it, which he does right. later. The other evidence that it's him is Sarah being really alarmed when she hears him upstairs and say, who is that? Your husband and one of my men. Like, mm-hmm. it's the same sounds as a murderer of her daughter. <laughs> Which it is. She says, who's that? And it's your husband. Yes. As we eventually, oh my God. As we eventually find out, he like drugs her drinks every time he's going to do something to Laura. So she probably does have some sort of subconscious memory of that footfall from upstairs. And then that fucking devastating line about, I can tell from the sounds it's not her. I can tell from the sounds that it isn't her. Oh God. Grace Zabriskie. Oh my gosh. Chills. So back to the Great Northern, I do love this classic Lynchian following the phone cord shot. does that all the time and I love it so much and you can't do it so much anymore right? with yeah. cell phones you can't follow a phone cord although he follows like phone lines and the return she's making these animalistic sounds through the receiver which are yeah. just so believable because what more despair could she possibly endure where she rank on the grief acting power rankings oh my god she's like fucking top oh, five yeah. at least I mean, well, no just in this show in the show? In this episode? In this episode. In this episode. Yeah. Grief rankings? Number fucking one with a bullet. Number one. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> Same. Is she not your number one? I think she's number one. I've got a surprising contender for really good grief acting, though, is Laura Flynn Boyle. 
Really? Re- yeah, I really like how she like clutches her <laughs> arm. She kind of guesses. She doesn't know yet. Everyone like guesses before they know. They put cool. shit together. Everyone knows mm-hmm. there's a problem subconsciously, I guess, because they all know what happened before they're told. We all know Laura's troubles. Yeah. Donna later says, I knew more about her than she thought I did. I think it's the best acting she does in the whole series. <laughs> her uh, scene in the interrogation room is also really good acting. But then it doesn't get any better after that. Right. Uh, <laughs> Where she's telling she's, that terrible lie about the, yeah, the woman hiker. And we're not sure to take the pictures. <laughs> uh, well, that, that's easy. There was this um, hiker that came along, this woman hiker a backpack and um, we asked her to take the pictures for us. What was her name? I don't know. I don't think we asked her. God, I don't know. Donna, who are you protecting? Nobody. That's really what happened. Does this person's name start with the letter J? Yeah, I don't even know what kind of format that is. It's like a weird small tape. Do they have all kinds of tape players in the police station? (laughs) (laughs) It's not a standard VHS. I don't think it's a beta. Uh, We had this one when I was a kid where it was like a VHS tape. But inside of the VHS tape was a smaller tape. What? Oh, yeah. yeah. I remember that. So you used the small tape in the camera, and then if you wanted to watch it, you had to put it into the big tape. Whoa. Maybe it was that. Whatever that is. God, we've been through so many different recording mediums, haven't we? I know. Okay, so the next scene after the Great Northern is at the Double R, where we meet... Bobby. A bunch of people. <laughs> yeah. We get Bobby. We get Shelly. We get Norma. We get Heidi. <laughs> Heidi. Giggly Heidi. Heidi's Heidi definitely such hasn't a... heard about Lori. <laughs> no. Although I feel like she does that anyway, all the time. Seems very easily amused. Yeah. Or she maybe is just like a nervous giggler. Yeah, I mean, she's getting <laughs> slut shamed and fat shamed by Shelly. <laughs> no. What kept you Heidi's seconds on knock course this morning? I, I couldn't catch my costume. To... Too busy jump starting the old man, huh? She's just giggling because she's going to address what Shelly's doing. Back off, Shelly. Shelly's annoyed because I think Heidi's supposed to relieve her. Shelly wants to leave. It does not excuse the fat shaming or the slut shaming. Also, is it slut shaming if it's her husband? It's slut shaming. Well, it could be less slutty. Right. From Shelly's point of view, though, it's like, oh, you like having sex with her? What's up with that? That's true. Don't despise the man you're married to. I can't relate. Yeah. I'm speaking as Shelly. <laughs> <laughs> but I do have a question about why Shelly's off work already. I know. Is, is Wait, it a does, 24-hour diner? That's the only possible explanation. Yeah. I do wonder about that. I mean, it must be yeah. 24 is she hours because she worked school? overnight. She's not. She's not. No. <laughs> I think she's a little older. Or she dropped out. One or the other. So Bobby's driving her home. I think Bobby's plan was to skip school. To make time with Shelly. Yeah. I thought the only time you cared about Bobby was making time. He's gonna hurry and scurry. Just quit worrying and start scurrying, Mr. Touchdown. I know it's ridiculous, but I love their weird dialogue. Well, also, it's nice when it's not clever dialogue because not everybody is actually clever. These are two kind of dumb kids. Dumb things, right? Yeah. 
All right, now you just make excuses for, for bad writing. Not necessarily. Is it though? Like... Yeah, I don't know. I don't believe David Lynch is capable of bad writing. <laughs> David Lynch and Mark Frost. I really don't think so. But I like Amy's point that these are two kind of dorky people from a small town. They don't necessarily know how to talk sexy to each other. But I was your little pick-me-up. <laughs> Baby, you are more like a three-stage rocket. A pocket rocket. And what stage are we in now? What does that mean? Right. Like he was just, you were a tiny vibrator? There's a lot that's <laughs> weird about Bobby and Shelly, or just kind of Shelly in general, but they are so indiscreet. And it's so strange how, <laughs> like, I think she's on to us. What? Nah. Let's French in front of the window. We'll very obviously leave together and make out in front of the window. You know? <laughs> and then also, like, when they pull up to her house and see Leo's truck is there, like, he makes so much noise. <laughs> right. Butte. Call you later. But then it's like basically abandoned road, you know, like he's not gonna <laughs> notice this like peel out. Yeah, tire screeching to a halt. Yeah, that car is very loud. Even if you were trying to make that car quiet, it would still be a loud car. And then, yeah, the screeching. But don't worry, because he's just focused on the cigarette butts. So he doesn't notice the car tires or anything. Well, he already knows. Right. It also, I feel like what Shelly says doesn't really make sense. He called me from Butte and he doesn't have a phone in his truck. Are you sure that your old man is still on the road? Yes, he called me last night from Butte. That's a long ways away, and he ain't got a phone in his truck. What? <laughs> he, he, he could have been anywhere though when he called her, which obviously he, he was, was. Yeah, but like, he, was, he was anywhere. Having a phone in his truck would not make any difference for anything. <laughs> On the way back, calling from this truck phone. Well, I think Shelly's not supposed him? to be super smart. I feel like she's just like in general pretty reckless. Everyone in Twin Peaks is pretty indiscreet. Everyone and knows what everyone's up to. Anyone except for Cooper. Well, no, everyone's <laughs> on to everyone. Yeah. I think so. Well, I think Bobby's don't do anything. I wouldn't do Norma is very pointed. Norma, I'll see you in my dream. Not if I see you first. Don't do anything I wouldn't do. He's saying you can go ahead and cheat on Hank because I'm doing the same I thing. I would do that. <laughs> I would do that and I'm doing that. Yeah, people know about Ed and Norma and people know about Harry and Josie. Maybe no one knows about Ben and Catherine. They might be the only discreet affair. I guess Catherine and Martell is famously the sneakiest of all the Twin Peaks residents. I know a little about fire. My family was at Nagasaki. (laughs) (laughs) We'll get into that. Okay, so Truman takes Leland to Calhoun Memorial Hospital to identify the body. That's where he breaks down. Uh, But not as much as he does later when he's definitely Leland. 17 years old. May I hint at what you No, I have to see her. I have to see what was done to my little girl. I feel like it's a performative breakdown. I mean, I would give credit to Ray Wise. Mm. Ray Wise is so good. He's still buttoned up, and he says, I have to see what was done to my little girl, which is an interesting line. Bob does consider Laura his little girl, and I have to see is kind of like, he's gleefully wants to see. 
He's in there for a couple seconds and then he's out. And then we get to the high school finally where Donna Hayward walks down the hall in an uncharacteristically form-fitting cardigan sweater and a characteristically frumpy pleated skirt. She exchanges glances with Audrey who's changing into heels out of her saddle shoes and sneaking a smoke in her locker. James comes by. Have you seen Laura? No, not yet. Nice day for a picnic. Ah, uh, yeah. <sighs> nice day for a picnic. Yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> this is the only way you should ever talk to Jim. <laughs> it's kind of funny because they definitely do not have any chemistry in that scene, but then later on we're supposed to believe that they've been in love with each other all this time. Yeah. Bobby arrives, and this is like my favorite Bobby <laughs> moment in the episode. <laughs> That whole funny scene of him talking to Mike. This is like Bobby antiquated speech watch. He says, what me worry? Sums up. What? You couldn't? What? Me worry? Bobby, you're one in the office. Who wants to be in the office? Yeah, sounds pretty new. Read the Mad Magazine. Like a boy in the 1950s. And then he like does that hilarious little scoot back into the library. Right. Uh, I love him. He's like the most <laughs> believable teenager to me. He really is. Also, when they're like, you're wanted, and he's like, who wants me? <laughs> <laughs> I can't prove it, but I would like to think that Paul Rudd maybe based his character in Wet Hot American Summer a little bit off of Bobby Briggs. Oh, nice. <laughs> he is very floppy. <laughs> <laughs> and kind of like a dork who thinks he's really cool. I is kind of the cool one though. Some say James has always been cool. <laughs> <laughs> no one says that. No Some one's ever said it. that. <laughs> That's never been I said. Say it is Bobby who's always been cool. <laughs> so this next scene is quite iconic. It has been memed a shit ton in the Twin Peaks fandom. A couple of shots from the scene. The first is Donna crying, clutching her hand. Excellent. Yeah. <laughs> the other shot is James's enormous forehead. <laughs> I mean, his forehead is always big, obviously. But for some reason, it seems like a shot with a fisheye lens in the scene. <laughs> I don't know why it's so extra big. So there's just lots of memes of, like, extending his forehead all the way up and a razor head and all kinds of stuff. One thing I would like to do is put relevant memes on our Insta for oh, each episode. Sure, yeah. I love all the extras who just make the most of their time on screen, like the guy that does the... Oh, he has, like, weird, like, wavy fish dance. <laughs> I know. That guy's great. And it is just amazing how Donna and James put it together. The state trooper comes in and talks to the teacher. The teacher doesn't say anything, but she's just crying and saying that the principal's going to make an announcement. And Donna and James exchange glances and then look at Laura's empty chair. And that's when Donna starts crying. There'll be an announcement from the principal. moment in the library where I don't know if that's like the administrative assistant or assistant principal or something. This is an extremely white town, which is actually maybe accurate for Washington, especially eastern Washington, but there it is. She tells the principal that he needs to make an announcement soon because there's rumors all over the school. I do really like Bobby's interrogation scene. I like him in the scene. Mm -hmm. And I love the way he responds to Truman. You think I killed her? Bobby, we're going to have you make a phone call. You can call your parents, and they can arrange to get a lawyer to be with you when we talk to you again. 
Andy, Bobby had to make his call. I loved her. And she loved me. You think because I wasn't at football practice that I killed my girlfriend? You are crazy! Are they even allowed to do that? Have an interrogation in the library of a school? I don't think cops care, like, is this allowed, you know, but there's no real rules if you haven't charged someone with something. Oh, we're just talking and he can leave whenever he wants. We just didn't mention to him that he can. You know what I mean? (laughs) I want to go back to like when we see Audrey change her shoes because I really like that whole thing how she switches from saddle shoes to those red heels. It just like speaks to Audrey how she's trying to be like grown up sexy all the time but I feel like a lot of guys would be into the schoolgirl saddle shoes thing, you know? Yes. She did not have to change her shoes. (laughs) That just fits who Audrey is. Absolutely. There's a lot of characters moments for Audrey in this episode. <laughs> Why is here in air quotes? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, like physically she's here, but her mind is a million miles away. Not very long after this show came out, I watched it again, and I felt at that time that Audrey was the only one who was dressed like a normal person. <laughs> yes. Like the fashion of 1989 became stale real quick. But now when I watch it, that 1989 fashion seems pretty normal. The mom jeans all make mm-hmm. sense again. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe it's just Donna. <laughs> Donna's efforts never make any sense. Although, no, Shelly wears some like weird ass big sweaters and stuff yeah. later too. When she's not in her diner uniform. I mean, I get that it's supposed to be really cold and there's a lot of layers. Maybe part of the implication too is that this small town is not very fashion forward. <laughs> Except for one or two people. It's really funny to me how much bigger Donna's sweaters get. <laughs> so big. I think that Principal Walchek does a good job with that announcement. Yeah. Yeah, he does good. Because it's, you know, presumably off the cuff. He probably doesn't have to make that many announcements like this. Right. But he manages to get all the information out and say everything seconds before breaking down. May I have your attention, please? This is Principal Walchek. I am deeply saddened to have to tell you that Early this morning, your classmate, Laura Palmer, was found dead. This is a terrible moment for all of us. For all of us who knew her, her friends, her family. It is very important that we all try to help each other through this difficult time. I am dismissing all classes for the day but before we leave I would like to ask each of you to join me in a moment of silence for Laura and her dear memory so I thought that was pretty good Slow zoom on the trophy case to Laura's homecoming queen pick and fade out and fade back into the same picture in the Palmer home where poor Sarah is in bad shape. Yeah. And Doc Hayward gets her drugged up enough so she could talk to the cops. Oh yeah, I was wondering why she was so sleepy in that scene. She I think like that nurse awake. gives her an injection or yeah. something. She's just freaking out, and then suddenly she's like, Ugh. <laughs> and Doc Hayward's like, you can talk to her now. <laughs> Talking about when she saw her, and we've already spoken about this scene a bit. Let's talk? Yes. Uh, it would have been about nine. 
Yes. Nine o'clock. Yeah. She came home from Bobby's. She was going up the stairs. I can tell from the sounds it's not her. They find the diary and an enormous camcorder. The other important thing that happens here is that Lucy calls, talks to Andy, and says that Janet Pulaski reported his daughter Ronette missing. And then we cut to the mill <laughs> where Pete is working. <laughs> Two by fours, four by eights. Josie wants to push the plug on the mill for the day. That's funny. And Catherine is not into it. Pete takes Josie's side. Catherine is very mad and she fires some random dude on the way out. All I did was not. Bitch. This morning, as you know, Ronette was missing. Yes. Yeah. The body of Miss Laura Palmer. What's your name? Fred Correct. You're fired. Again, just really good characterizing moments. We really get who all these people are. And then there's the incredible shot of Ronette walking along the railroad track bridge in the filthy torn nightgown, bloody hands, possibly cigar burns on her chest or something. She's got these two, like, yeah. gaping holes. They look like bullet wounds, but she'd be dead if those were bullets. So yeah. Yeah, I think it is burns. And she's got her wrists tied. Yeah, yeah. the rope hanging. That bridge is called the Reining Bridge, and it's in Snoqualmie. The tracks have been removed since the filming, and it's paved now. Then we go to Big Ed's gas farm <laughs> with James, who speaks uh, to his uncle. And here's my personal shut up, James moment. You've got to shut the fuck up, James. It's a bad one, yeah. James is the worst. We hate James. <laughs> Every episode, we're going to have a shut up, James. We might have different ones, but this one's mine. Poor Ed is just trying to comfort his nephew. Al for some coffee. <laughs> James says, can't do it. Laura's dead. Got her. She was the one. Buy a coffee. <laughs> Why? Are you busy? <laughs> right. It was supposed to look like meet me at the roadhouse after 9.30. What do you have to do in all the time between now and 9.30? <laughs> Just ride around. I'm going to be busy until then. Yeah, he goes up to the picnic spot and sits there for a while. He has to go sit at the picnic spot and brood. He makes brooding time. He's pretty fucking busy. <laughs> See, my shut up James moment was in the attendance roll call because he's totally the guy that says yo <laughs> James Hurley yo I mean you don't have to be creative right just be here like they're doing this every day you don't have to do a thing every time <laughs> I bet he does a thing every time <laughs> sometimes he, he says present present sometimes he sometimes just sometimes he puts on an English accent right. my lady <laughs> Sometimes he says pip pip cheerio. <laughs> Real fucking cool. You've got to shut the fuck up, 
I do not care for this introduction of Nadine, but I feel like they just hadn't fleshed her out. She's like the one character that isn't fleshed out until much later. For now, she's just a petite ginger woman with an eye patch who shrewishly yells at her husband about drapes. Ed! They sent those drapes to be ready by 10! Now I want some drapes up by nightfall! Oh, I don't love that, but... That's probably, like, my biggest problem with the pilot. I don't like the nagging wife stereotype, even in this situation. Yeah, she's pretty one-dimensional at this point. For a while, yeah. And then finally, fucking finally, we get to FBI Special Agent Dale Cooper entering the town of Twin Peaks at 11.30 a.m. Diane, 11.30 a.m., February 24th. Entering the town of Twin Peaks. It's five miles south of the Canadian border, 12 miles west of the state line. Never seen so many trees in my life. He gets there so fucking fast. Right. Did he come from Philadelphia? He says, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. As WC Fields would say, I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. Fire Walk with me, he's based out of the Philadelphia office. Mm. I think he has that quote backwards, though. Like the WC Fields oh, yeah? is, I'd rather be in Philadelphia. I think it's like what he wanted on his tombstone or what's on his tombstone or something. Yeah. It's definitely not, yeah. I'd rather be here than Philadelphia. That is definitely <laughs> not. <laughs> Interesting. I sound like Coop to get something wrong. Yeah. Like, I expect him to be like, to paraphrase or something, you know. Yeah. It's strange. So it's 11.30 a.m. It was like 7.30 when they found the body. And then. Oh, yeah. Wow. And then it took Ronette Pulaski crossing the Idaho border to get the feds called in. Right. Right. So that just seems really fast. So he can't have come in from Philadelphia. Right. He must have been somewhere else. He was going to go back to Philadelphia and then he's like, no, why don't you go to the Twin Peaks? Still, it's just really amazing. And he stopped for pie and a tuna fish sandwich (laughs) at the Lamplighter Inn on Highway 2. I want a taste test of Lamplighter pie and double R pie. I don't think he ever says which is better. But he does say later that the lamplighter pie will kill you. <laughs> so, I don't know if that's a good thing or not. Wow. <laughs> oh, Diane, I almost forgot. Got to find out what kind of trees these are. They're really something. He makes his way to the hospital, meet Sheriff Truman, and gives him, I think, a really charming speech about, like, we're taking it from here. Sheriff, let me stop you in the hallway here for just a second. There's a few things that we got to get straight right off the bat. I learned about this the hard way. It's best to talk about it up front. When the bureau gets called in, the bureau's in charge. And you're going to be working for me. Sometimes local law enforcement has a problem with that. I hope you understand. Like I said, we're glad to have you here. I really like yeah. the way he does that. But Truman is fine with right. Yeah. He doesn't want any responsibility at all. He's, totally. He's into it. At least Truman knows, yeah, that yeah. he is in way over his head with this whole thing. Yeah. I, I mean, love Coop's introduction. Is. He's really funny. The Twin Peaks drawn out scene where he's talking for five minutes about <laughs> pie and coffee. Yeah. The trees. The trees. When and I watched this with Logan, Logan was very excited. I'm like, what with the trees? Like, has he never seen trees? <laughs> what with the trees? Actually, that could be a segment <laughs> in this podcast. <laughs> what with the trees? There is some shit with the trees. Yeah, the trees are not what they seem. <laughs> There's some shots of the spooky trees mm-hmm. in the pilot, and I think probably every episode afterwards has spooky trees. What becomes standard transitions yeah. are, yeah, shots of the wind blowing in the trees and the, the one traffic light. Right. You can tell that Harry loves to introduce himself with his full name. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Harry is <true> <laughs> He fucking loves it. They go to see Ronette. 
and Dr. Louise Shelby tells them that she has possible neurological damage and has been unresponsive, but then suddenly she starts talking a little bit. She says, don't go there. Oh yeah, which the bird says later. That's right. Where's there? Why are they saying right. that? I would think that Ronette said that, and the bird was repeating what Ronette said. But why was Ronette saying, don't go there? Yeah, because yeah. the bird said, Laura, don't go there. Is that Ronette saying that? Is Ronette saying, Laura, don't go there? Is that in a, <laughs> in a scene in Firewalk with me? Like, does she ever say that in that? I don't remember. <laughs> Shit. <laughs> we'll have to watch Firewalk with me. Again, I know. So here's my theory about the order you should watch Twin Beaks. Firewalk with me. First. Season one. Firewalk with me. <laughs> season two. <laughs> the return. Firewalk with me. Rinse repeat. <laughs> I feel like you just can't you have to watch, watch it, Firewalk with me yeah. enough. <laughs> so just keep watching Two Peaks forever. <laughs> yes. Much like the show. It's a cyclical thing. <laughs> We're doing this forever. This is future war. This is Ask. Coop is freaking out about the trees and he asks him, what are these trees? And he says, Douglas firs. And then the way he repeats is like, Douglas firs is kind of, later he becomes Dougie Jones. It's like kind of such a cute yeah. kind of way he says it. What kind of fantastic trees have you got growing around here? Big, majestic. Douglas firs. Douglas firs. I can really hear Dougie Jones saying Douglas firs. Like yes. That. Definitely. We should make note of whenever he repeats things. Right. <laughs> yeah, he's Douglas Furs. Can I see the coroner's report? Right. <laughs> it's a really funny That's transition funny there. Moment. They're going down to the morgue, and the one-armed man is in the elevator in front of them, and he gets off on the same floor where Jacoby is. <laughs> really annoying some nurses, I think. It's, it's full of water, big mouth. Got a big mouth that starts talking. You can see the looks on their faces. Like They're like, it's really good uh, character introduction. He's yeah. super annoying. He is so annoying. No one wants him around. No one has ever said keep talking. <laughs> <laughs> Therapists are supposed to listen, not talk. Right. He's got a topless hula girl in his tongue. With real tassels. With real tassels that he's fingering. (laughs) Yes. And really perplexing long earplugs. And he's yelling at these nurses with earplugs in his ears, which is kind of, I guess, unintentional foreshadowing to Gordon Cole, maybe. See, that's weird because it's like a thing you don't notice now. People walk around with things in their ears, like their airplanes or earbuds. And it's like, why is he wearing those in 1990? I have no idea. Protecting his own hearing. From his own loud voice. He said it. He's the one who wants to talk and doesn't want to listen to anyone. Yeah. Yeah. That's just, you know, ah. symbolic of... of bad therapist. Of, of, yeah. <laughs> I don't know if he's a bad therapist. He seems like one of the smarter people in Twin Peaks. Mm. Pretty amoral, but, you know, he's... He can be smart and not a good therapist. Yeah. yeah. I mean, he definitely didn't seem I, to help Laura at all. Yeah, I think Laura was beyond his... I mean, <laughs> this is like a lot of likely people who need his help in Twin Peaks. And I don't know if anyone's getting any better. Yeah, who no. else is going to Dr. G? Well, the only person he ever helps is Nadine, I guess, eventually. Right. According to her. But he has to become some weird yes. conspiracy theorist YouTuber first. And the fucks are at it again. The same vast global corporate conspiracy. Different day. Yeah, he seems to have a pretty good handle on Nadine's problems. Yeah, he's the only one. Nadine figures it out later. She has uh, some self-actualization. Maybe through therapy with uh, Dr. <laughs> I don't think it's the therapy. I think it's just her watching his show. 
Shovel yourself yes, out of right. the shit. Yeah, she's very... <laughs> <laughs> she gets it. Yeah, that's all she needed to hear. Oh, so this is an interesting happy accident. There is the happy accident at the end of Bob in the Mirror, but the fluorescent lights malfunctioning, that was really happening. Really? And they were like, do we need to fix this? And David Lynch said, no, let's run with it. I have to apologize again for the fluorescent lights. I, I think it's a bad transformer. That's quite all right. Oh, that's funny. Wow. I didn't know that was an accident because there's a lot of flashing lights. Exactly. I know. And this time I was noticing, like, it's not effectively done. Like, it's not as spooky as it sometimes gets to be. <laughs> but I guess it was an accident. It was a sense. real <laughs> electrical problem. Yeah. <laughs> not a spooky electrical problem. Yeah. It does get a little spooky at the very last shot of Cooper's face, is, but it's flashing on him. It gives his face a weird movement. I, like, I really like the effect when somebody who is still looks like they're moving because the lights are changing. Right. But there are some scenes in The Return where people's faces go from scary to not scary with just lights being changed on them. That's a good observation, baby. (laughs) You should say that every time. (laughs) Good observation, baby. The other happy accident in this scene is that the attendant who wasn't supposed to have any lines... Jim, that's that actor's actual name, because when Cooper says, would you leave us, please, he thought that Kyle MacLachlan was asking him his name, so he says Jim, and then Kyle MacLachlan, ever the professional, is like, "Uh, would you leave us alone, please? I love that, because I'm like, what did you think he said? Like, how did he get, would you leave us, please? Like, where are you getting... What's your name from there? You know? <laughs> I wonder if they then had to pay him a SAG day rate. Oh, you don't really? have to pay SAG day rates to extras if they have no lines, but as soon as you say one line, you got to pay them the SAG rate. Yeah, David Lynch has so many found actors. <laughs> I know. Oh, this is your house? Be in the final scene yes. of my oh, magnum opus. <laughs> I know. <laughs> You'll do. That's a good fucking point. Baby. <laughs> good observation. And we hear our first reference to Albert when oh, Cooper finds the R under the left ring fingernail. This is something he's seen before. He tells Diana, give it to Albert. Don't go to Sam. Mm-hmm. Sam is played by Kiefer Sutherland in Firewalk With Me. Oh, that's Sam is. Okay. Sam is not as on the ball as Albert. Nobody's according to Cooper. Yeah, I know. It's an understatement. <laughs> Albert is magical. Yeah. <laughs> I yeah. can't tell you anything about any fine powder. Yeah. I really I mean, love when Harry says there's no connection between Ronit and Laura. He says it like he's so sure. I love it whenever Harry is confident and wrong. Yeah. <laughs> he's confident and wrong a lot. Right. Yeah, this is the first step, like six times. <laughs> okay. like, yeah. that, that's not going to be cocaine. You don't know, Laura Paul. <laughs> what else could it be? Like, In a tiny baggie. Well, it's just also crazy that like, Laura's body has just been found and then here's like another girl from her same school has been <laughs> through some shit mm-hmm. the same night no connection that's a pretty bad police work <laughs> <laughs> i think he's saying there was no connection that he knew of in their lives that yeah like that he, unconnected events. that he knew of <laughs> i think he's saying these are not connected he definitely says they didn't know each other with much authority when they definitely did. He's wrong all the time. <laughs> yes. This is one of the more egregious ones. Often he's wrong, but his assumption is a, a pretty good one. Well, I don't know. We'll okay. have to get specific examples later. <laughs> I'll mention them. You'll see good observation. <laughs> okay. 
Truman wants to know what the hell is going on here <laughs> about the letter. But first, Donna goes to Big Ed's. She gets the note from James. Mike pulls up yelling at her. What the hell are you doing? Oh, I can't. I've been looking all over for you. In case you didn't realize it, Bobby's in a lot of trouble. He's my best friend. You're supposed to be with me, Donna. And we're going down to the police station to be with him. <laughs> Don't tell me where I ought to be. Second of all, Donna was my best friend. Get in the car. Muffwood Jr. Mind your own business. You're on my lot, friend. Oh, and I'm not your friend. And that's when they have that knowing exchange, Donna and Ed, about I sure know how to pick them. I know how to pick them too. Yeah, I feel like that's very silly for Donna to say, like as if she's stuck with her high school boyfriend. She's like 17. <laughs> pick someone else, you know? I mean, like, why are you? Yeah. She already has, even. Well, she doesn't right. know. She, I guess she hasn't yet. She realizes she's in love with James at the end. Blah. I mean, it's not, a, not, not really an upgrade. I mean, right. it's, it's, no, it's not. It's stupid Mike to stupid James. It's just different. Right. It's true. She does. It's a lateral move at best. She does sure know how to pick him. Back at the station, Cooper is examining what was found in Laura's room. He finds the diary. Harry is so stupid that he says he's still looking for the key to this oh child's God. diary. <laughs> No key yet, huh? I'm still looking. And I love how he looks so impressed that Cooper pulls it off. Oh, I know. <laughs> Why not? Yeah, I mean, Harry's already getting kind of a boner for, for Coop. He pulls out that weird small tape. He finds the key. It's for a safety deposit box. I really love the last entry. I hate asparagus. Does this mean I'll never grow up? Yeah. Heart-wrenching. Because that's not what means you'll never grow up, but you'll never grow up. Do you think Sarah's just bad at making asparagus when she cooks? Definitely. Sarah's not a good cook. (laughs) She probably drops ash in the dinner every night. She cooks it for like 30 minutes in her hand. It's like just gross. I'm sure she forgets about it. I'm sure it's really bad. (laughs) She never had our asparagus is all I'm saying. No. (laughs) I know that Sarah's not grilling it lightly and putting olive oil and salt and pepper on that shit. No. It's like creamed corn when she makes it. Mm. It's interesting (laughs) you said creamed corn. Nervous about meeting Jay tonight. I find it so interesting how many Jays are in this show. Mm Mm-hmm. Do we ever yeah. learn which Jay she's nervous about meeting? Is it Jacques Renault? Because that's... Or Leo Johnson. Yeah. Or James. Right. It's so many and Jays. And Joey. Joey! <laughs> yes, another Jay. Joey. We know that there's two Jay bikers. Let's go beat up a Jay biker. Hey, cop. There's something about the letter J. We're looking at some freaking biker. And some freaking biker is going to get his head busted open. They don't get to beat up any J-bikers. It's such a bummer. I love the way Bobby says no when Cooper asks him if he killed Laura Palmer. (laughs) Bobby, did you kill Laura Palmer? No! It's a very good delivery on that no. Coop is a little bit out of character in this scene. I agree, yeah. Bobby, here's how this works. We ask the questions, and you answer the questions that we ask. Briefly. And to the point. Because I'm asking you. Yeah, he's not very cook at all. Although I do, I really love when he writes on his special gadget. I love that. Clearly a calculator, but I think it's supposed to be like some kind of a the early model Blackberry or something. Right, yeah. I think it's just supposed to be a fancy gadget that did not exist. <laughs> it would have been really funny if he just <laughs> wrote boobs. <laughs> that would be a funny meme, actually. If you're that, it says 
That'd be more of a Coen Brothers gag. An <laughs> homage gag, but it's good. I mean, I really like that, that he writes he did not do it. Coop is just eliminating suspects left and right in this episode. It really pisses Harry off that he's always like, he didn't do it. Especially after they spent so much time staking out places, looking for specific people, and then as soon as he finds them, we're like, he didn't do it. (laughs) Harry's so confused. You really gotta explain things to Harry, Coop. Right. I kind of feel like they're just both constantly trying to impress each other yeah, with their amazing police work. Why anyone would be into Harry. No, oh, no, I agree with you completely. Coop is just so charmed by the whole town. Sure. Yeah. Like, oh, the sheriff of this delightful small town. That's true. He's so into the whittling. Yeah. He immediately takes That's to Twin Peaks life. That's a little life. I feel. You know why I'm whittling? Okay, I'll, I'll bite again. Why are you whittling? That's what you do in a town where a yellow light still means slow down, not speed up. This is the kind of town you whittle in. <laughs> and Harry's like, I don't like, fucking whittle. You're four hours and you're like, <laughs> you're whittling. Yeah. But he means that as a compliment. Like, he loves it. He loves, he it. loves yeah. it. He does love it. It's hard to take anything he says too yeah. negatively. Yeah. But it's not yeah. bad, like, to whittle, right? No. It could be enjoyable. He makes like I a mean, whole whistle. Yeah. He's good at it. I know. Like, how is he doing that? <laughs> Which actually makes tone. He's like, <laughs> <laughs> it's pretty incredible. It's just like Coop to be amazing at whittling the first time he tries it. He's got some talents. <laughs> and he's psychic. Yes. In this scene. Right. Yeah, he knows you didn't do he it. He knows he didn't do it. And he knows he didn't love Laura Palmer. <laughs> Bobby didn't love Laura Palmer. Yeah, that's right. Bobby didn't love Laura Palmer. But I think Bobby did love Laura yeah, Palmer. Yeah, I think he did. I don't know why he says that. I think he's just trying to, especially the way he says it, you didn't love her anyway. <laughs> oh, he's just trying to rile him up. I think he is trying to rile him up. I mean, I definitely think he's trying to rile him up before he shows him the video, mm-hmm. even though he knows right then that he didn't do it. He's got a method. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> the Cooper method. He's doing a good cop, bad cop thing all by himself. <laughs> that's kind of true. I mean, he's I like, hey, Harry won't help. Ah, good coop, bad coop. Good point. <laughs> good point, baby. <laughs> well, also with Bobby, I mean, they're both lying, kind of, because Bobby says she wouldn't do that to me when he knows full well that she would, and she did. Right. I really think Bobby already knows. Yeah, I think he knows it's James. Yeah. Audrey <laughs> is an agent of chaos <laughs> back at the <laughs> Great Northern. Julie, what would happen if I pulled this out? You wouldn't. Did this guy play with Dan Schmuck's boy? Audrey, Audrey, honey, don't go in there, Audrey. Poor Julie the concierge. Audrey's whole thing. It's really... It is really funny, but it's so obnoxious. It's so obnoxious. pencil in the cup. It's like something a six-year-old would do. Right. And that's the only way they can introduce her character. She's making moves. She's trying to make things happen. I didn't think about this when I first watched it, but her whole entire storyline is going to one at Jack's in the first season. Well, so she wants to help the investigate. Before she meets Cooper, her storyline is, my dad sucks. I'm just going to fuck around because the only enjoyment I get out of life is tormenting my dad. I mean, even before she realizes that her dad is completely amoral, I think she just thinks his business is dumb and she wants to fuck with him. Mm -hmm. But then once she meets Coop, she wants to really help. Find some purpose with Coop. Yeah, totally. Um, It's not really good for her. 
Yeah. I'm sure she'll be fine. Everything will turn out fine. <laughs> I like that she says that damn smorgasbord. <laughs> What's she got against smorgasbord? I mean, it is ridiculous when you go in. It looks like a feast of... The <laughs> There's like a cornucopia. Henry, yeah, a cornucopia and like a big ham and some hunks of cheese. I guess they're cheese eaters. Cheese eaters. Gotta get those cheese eaters where they live. Mm. Jerry's not in this. Episode. No. He's always eating something. He has his introduction. <laughs> the Warren brothers are always eating something, but they don't do that in this episode. I think Jerry is an enabler for he's Ben. The, he's the ringleader like, <laughs> with the food. He's always bringing the food to Ben. His bags full of sandwiches. He's so right. The most basic ass sandwich. There's no way that bread is fresh if he flew from France. Twin Peaks. <laughs> and that's true, Trust as we learn later. Okay. They prefer things stale and crunchy. Oh my god. Left out overnight with no cover or anything. <laughs> Is there something wrong, young pretty girl? <laughs> she says her friend's been murdered. He found my friend Laura lying face down on a rocky beach, completely naked. She'd been murdered. Then we're back at the police station. Bobby's going home. He's being let go. He meets his dad and mom at the door. I'll be home this evening if you need a sympathetic ear. I don't need any damn sympathetic anything. I guess damn is the most swearing you could have done at that time. Right. Mm. So when a teenager... Yeah, this was on network TV. Yeah. <laughs> Every time I think about that, it amazes me. I know. It was really so ahead of its time in so many ways. Uh, Donna's question by Cooper. That's when she gets into the whole the woman hiker... <laughs> <laughs> took yeah. good pictures. Dale reveals that he's already figured it all out. Holy smoke. Just <laughs> the one smoke. But twice. I don't totally get, other than her being a very dramatic teenager, why does she have to protect James? Like, she knows James did not do it. Mm-hmm. She knows James is <laughs> basically David Lynch in the reflection. Of, no, in your lap. Oh. From my point of view, it's like... Wow, very creepy. Scary. Yeah, that's kind of super weird. Uh, <laughs> Leave it in. It's great. Well, Lynch is one of the people in the podcast. Oh, my God. Perfect. Yes, please. I know he wants to do it. Yes, no, I'm sure he'll be here. He'll explain everything. He loves yes, to. Yes, he does. He famously loves to explain himself. He's not going to need to because Bachelor's going to explain it, it all to him. It's, it's doing it. It's happening. Stuff. It takes a while, but we're doing it. Eraserhead is my most spiritual film. Mm-hmm. Elaborate on that. No, I won't. <laughs> I think all these dumb teenagers are panicking. Her whole like sneaking out thing is so weird, and Harriet like, is so weird. The thing with the necklace is also super weird and doesn't really make any sense. That's a thing where people have a necklace where here's half a heart and someone else has the other half. Mm-hmm. So it's like, oh, we found this half heart necklace. The killer must have the other half. That is not a reasonable conclusion. Yeah. You know? <laughs> <laughs> something like that you found me dead like who has the other half probably either like you or laura the least likely people to kill me but does coop say the killer has the other half or is that an assumption that duck hayward makes our job is to find whoever has the other half but i don't know if he necessarily thinks it's the killer but somebody says i think he just thinks that's like the next step in the process somebody says they because they think the killer may have the other half of the heart that's duck hayward when he's talking to his wife well it's the reason why i suspect bobby because it's like always the boyfriend or the husband you know in real life Mm -hmm. cops always would assume that it's the significant other that is killed the girl. I mean, yeah. usually is. And they're probably right. That's normal police work. <laughs> yeah. So that's why they think it's Bobby at first and why they think it. if it's not Bobby then it's whoever is her secret boyfriend. 
Right. I guess I was thinking that those kind of necklaces are usually like a best friend type of thing. Yeah, Lula had one with her best friend, not her boyfriend. (laughs) (laughs) At one point, she was wearing three with three different friends. I know. It was cute. She was not exclusive. (laughs) No, you can have as many necklaces as you want. Haves. You can have as many best friends, too. It's like infinity. Totally. So then the train car. Cooper and Truman are in the car. It's pretty gross. <laughs> There's blood everywhere. It's a lot of blood for a network TV show in 1990. The hammer, it's pretty graphic for that time period. And the half a heart necklace is on a dirt mound. And then the note, fire walk with me, written in blood. And that's when they're like, we have to find who has the other half of that necklace. And then it's James, who is so busy. Right. It's <laughs> taking him nine hours to do something. And now we start the Laura Palmer extracurricular tally. <laughs> so James is the least busy person in Twin Peaks. Laura was the most busy. Yeah. One of her millions of extracurriculars was teaching Johnny Horn, who's Audrey's older brother, who likes to wear a problematic headdress. <laughs> and we're not entirely sure what's going on with him, but he's got like a third grade education and is basically nonverbal. And then we're at the, the bank. <laughs> I don't know the story behind the horrifying elk head on the table other than it fell down, but it's very funny. I really like how they don't really talk about it beyond that. Right. They just kind of... It's like it fell down and we left it there. (laughs) It's pretty vague. I mean, It's really really vague for that little room. I mean, what we know later, it's like just that lady and then that old man who worked at the bank. Between the two of them, they might not be able to get it back up. I was going to say about Johnny Horn, his mom is not real nice. (laughs) I don't know if that's always her character. get over it, Johnny. (laughs) She's like, I'm not talking to him. You tell him again. I don't understand what's so hard for him to understand. Yeah. yeah. She's not the most sympathetic mom. This is what it might help if you talk to Johnny yourself. So you think it might help. But you can tell Johnny one more time that Laura isn't coming this afternoon to work with him. Tomorrow afternoon or any afternoon. Now what is so difficult to understand about that? What's her deal? She's got a hard life too, I guess. Not very nurturing. <laughs> not a great look for her. She doesn't have a lot to do in the whole series, but that's pretty rough. Kind of the only other thing I can think of is What's in The so Return, where she gets... Terrible stuff happened to her. Richard. In the return. In the return. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I don't even really remember what else happens to her in the first two seasons. Other than, like, she calls Ben from time to time, and he's like, ah, my wife, ah, what a shrew. (laughs) She's really keeping me from my brothel. Inside the safety deposit box, they find a copy of Flesh Worlds and over $10,000, which is a lot of Girl Scout cookies. Girl Scout cookies, yeah. Totally normal way to say that. There's over $10,000 here. It's a lot of Girl Scout cookies. It's a really interesting line read. Okay. Page is marked conveniently to an end for Ronette. And inexplicably on the other page, a photo of Leah Johnson in front of his truck. Right. <laughs> One assumes he is writing a letter to the editor. Dear Flesh World, I never thought this would happen to me. <laughs> See, I killed this like, girl. <laughs> when, right, when they show that picture, like, can you see, is there anything written by it that makes... I'd have to, we'll have to go back and pause that yeah. shit. In The Secret Diary of Laura Palmer, she writes that she's mailing her underpants to people. Oh, wow. <laughs> Laura is? Laura is, yeah. She has an ad in Flesh World, in Flesh World with a picture and she mails underpants. That seems so ahead of its time. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) kind of. And so that photo of Leo Johnson's truck is a good transition to the Johnson home where Shelly's watching a story about the murder on TV and Leo starts to yell at her about the cigarettes in the ashtray. What kind of cigarettes do you smoke? What was around? No, you don't. You smoke these. 
What are these doing here? Come on, Leo. I pick up different packs from the diner all the time, me and Norma. There's two things, Shelly. When I come home, this house should be clean. And I mean clean. Okay. Number two, you smoke one brand of cigarettes from now on, because if I ever see two different brands of cigarettes in this house again, I'm going to snap your neck like a twig. She's a really bad liar. Right. <laughs> right, that is not believable. Any smoker, like, what kind of cigarettes do you smoke? Whatever's around. I mean, I do All like that she, around. a second later, thinks of, like, people leave packs at the diner. Right. But she's kind of already tipped her hand by being too vague at first. Right. <laughs> not that I'm... Defending Leo in any way. <laughs> Norma calls Ed, asks to meet him at the roadhouse. Nadine's doing her drape thing. Town meeting. Yeah. <laughs> Here's where a lot of exposition happens. Yeah. Who's the babe? <laughs> Harry explains the Packard thing. Where's Mr. Packard? Dead in a boating accident last year. Andrew Packard practically built this town. Brought her over from Hong Kong six years ago. Left her everything, which didn't exactly please his sister. That's her right there. The original deep free is... Who's the glad-handing dandy? Benjamin Horn, local bigwig. He owns half the town. He's not after her. He's after her land. He says it's the original deep freeze, which I like to think is a reference to the Seattle freeze, but it, probably not. There's a Twin Peaks freeze. I love Pete's expression in that situation. <laughs> he looks real unhappy to be there. Aww. Good Jack Nance. I know, like, He's Cooper so hasn't met a lot of people. It's just funny that he says, who's the babe, about Josie, when it's like, Twin Peaks is filled with beautiful women. That's true. <laughs> he hasn't he's met many of them. But he hasn't like, met that many. Yeah, yeah he hadn't met Shelly or Norma. Or Audrey. Or uh, Audrey. Yes, yeah. that's true. So it's the first of many babes. And then the log lady's flicking the lights, which a fun tidbit from The Secret History of Twin Peaks written by Mark Frost <laughs> is that the log lady's job has been at town meetings to flick the lights on and off to get people's attention for many ah. years. That's, that's been her thing. So no one's like annoyed by it. That's how meetings start. I also like when he says, who's the lady with the log? And he says, we call, we call her the, the log, log lady. lady. <laughs> yeah. Who's the lady with the log? That's all you need to know about her for now. Mayor Milford dials up to the microphone. <laughs> I like how Harry kind of has to wrestle the microphone away from Mayor Milford to <laughs> give it to Coop. Coop debriefs everyone on the possible serial killer. I think it's really terrible that he says that the murder of Teresa Banks wasn't even news. Like they didn't report that murder at all? Even though she was nobody? I don't know. It seems like you'd still report a murder, but I guess not. It wasn't even news. Someone from this town, quite possibly someone you know, could be the killer. He says there should be a curfew, which sets him up later for being able to bring in Donna and James because they're out ah. after curfew. There's a one-stop light transition. Here's where Doc Hayward's telling his wife, whose name is Eileen, about the murder, including the unreleased information about the necklace. They found part of a necklace, half of a golden heart. Laura's. They think the killer may have the other half of the heart. Here's another telling thing. He says Leland made it through the day somehow. I don't think I could have. Ah. Hmm. Leland made it through the day somehow. I'm not sure I could have done the same. Doc Hayward finds Leland surprisingly okay. So I kind of feel like Bob is like with him the whole next day mm -hmm. to see how things unfold. That's true because there are some times where Leland is definitely not making it through. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Don't get used to Leland holding it together. Yeah. Donna overhears the thing about the necklace and sneaks out requesting that her sister Harriet cover for her. Harriet's busy writing a poem. I mean, she was always going <laughs> to sneak out though. Like, yeah. Because she had to meet him at 9.30 for some reason. <laughs> After 9.30. Oh, after 9.30, right. <laughs> Which is also a funny thing to say. Like, 
How much after I'm right. three? <laughs> That's just when Hurley's meet people. <laughs> the Hurley family is always 9.30 through the house. She's sneaking out of her sister's bedroom window. Maybe just because that's the one that faces the street. Donna, which do you like better? The blossom of the evening or the full flower of the evening? Now listen to me. This is serious. Well, this is serious too. I'm going out the window in a few minutes and I need you to cover for me. This is about Laura. It's really, really serious. Uh, that does not look like a child's bedroom at it's all. Enormous. <laughs> it's enormous. I know. It looks like a guest room. Right. Maybe it is a guest room. They don't say it's Harriet's bedroom. We have yet to meet her other sister, Gersten. <laughs> Donna? <laughs> totally normal name, Gersten. <laughs> Tell me Like all the children in this town, Harriet talks like an old person. She says, the best laid plans of mice and men. <laughs> <laughs> she immediately rats out Donna. Right. She didn't try it. When her dad comes up, I'm going to tell it to you straight. Where's your sister? Dad, I'm going to tell it to you. I'm going to tell it to you straight. Harriet. See that window? Dad, I'm going to tell it to you straight. <laughs> that actually does sound like how a kid talks. Sometimes kids do say the darndest thing. Right. There's... Uh, error. The next shot is an establishing shot, but it's actually the book house, not the roadhouse. I noticed yeah, that, yeah. Like... But then they reestablish it when Donna shows up, yes. and then that's the roadhouse, also known as the Bang Bang Bar, also known as the Fall City Roadhouse Bar, next to Snoqualmie in Fall City, obviously. Now, have you been there? We've been there outside of it, because that's where we pull out in the rafting, when we do the, oh, the yeah. floating down the river. Oh, that's that parking, that's that yeah. bar right there? Mm-hmm. That neon is not usually there no oh, they should put it there they should Why wouldn't you do that yeah I, don't know. A lot more business I feel like a lot of places in washington do not capitalize nearly enough on the twin peaks fandom the roadhouse gets such good music i don't know lives. why oh my god the booker at the roadhouse <laughs> so amazing julie cruz is playing tonight the interiors of the roadhouse are shot at cornish college on capitol hill oh wow and julie cruz is singing she's putting lyrics to the twin peaks theme which I always love yeah. when that happens. The whittling discussion. Well, like before they show the roadhouse when Mike and Bobby come to the Hayward house and oh, yes. it's like surfing on top of the car. <laughs> <laughs> I really like a lot of those. I'm like, I'm so into Bobby now. It's I so know. embarrassing. He's but so like, funny. And he's like, are you boys drinking and driving? And Mike's like, Bobby's doing most of the driving. Most of the driving. Well, we're all three broken up on what happened this. Besides, Bobby's doing most of the driving. <laughs> Is that better? <laughs> and then his... Car surfing is really funny, I think. A lot goes down at the roadhouse. Ed and Norma are discussing their plans to leave their respective spouses. This is the first of a million such conversations. Right. Uh, I know, in the roadhouse, in the booth. Time. Yeah. Joey, a biker with the J name, and Scotty see that Donna shows up, and then they see Bobby and Mike walk in, and they make another antiquated reference. Mutt and Jeff just <laughs> crawled in. Scotty. <laughs> <laughs> Jeff just crawled in. 
Google what Mudded Jeff is. Wow, that's so old. It's a long-running and widely popular American newspaper comic strip created by the cartoonist Bud Fisher. I feel like it was still going on in 1990. It started in 1907. But when did it end? I don't know. I don't know. But I'm gonna look that up because I have a specific memory of my friend Patty saying that our friends Matt and Jeff were coming over, and then she's like, "Oh, doesn't that sound like Mud and Jeff?" Oh. We did not have this one in the Richmond Times-Dispatch. Yeah, it was not in the San Francisco Chronicle. Okay, well, it was in the Star-Ledger, which was my (laughs) newspaper. They were fezzes, right, Mutt and Jeff? Are you thinking of Jeff and Akbar, maybe? No, maybe Akbar and Jeff. (laughs) (laughs) I like to say Jeff's name first. It ended in 1983, so it was not Um, an antiquated reference at that time. eh, Not too bad. Also, they don't look anything like Bobby and Mike. So I don't even get the reference. What are Mutton Jeff's main characteristics? That I don't remember. Mike sees Donna and grabs her roughly, shaking her, yelling at her. He's just being so awful. Ed stands up to defend Donna and Bobby calls him Monkey Wrench. And hits him with brass knuckles. Not nice, Bobby. Not nice. Why do you even have those? Meanwhile, Joey sneaks Donna out to take her to James. Why is James making her jump through such hoops to see him? Meet me at the roadhouse after 9.30. So wait around for many, many hours. Mm -hmm. Sneak out. Come to the roadhouse, and I'm not even there. He expects Bobby to beat the shit out of him, but everyone's well, just it's acting kind so of weird. like shitty. It's like it's not safe for James to be there. But Donna, you go ahead. You're fine. Like, yeah. Same like when Bobby just drops off Shelly. Like, oh shit, Leo's here. I, I know. That's Bye. true. <laughs> He's kind of leaves her to her devices with Leo later on too, which isn't cool. And Donna does get like assaulted, basically. Not cool. Good job, guys. Coop and Harry see them leave. They decide to follow them at a discreet distance. They do a terrible job doing that. <laughs> <laughs> They're eating donuts. They're smelling trees. Well, Harry, I think we lost them. Man, smell those trees. Smell those Douglas firs. Then there's a really interesting scene that's lit only by a motorcycle light between James and Donna, where James gives some good exposition about Laura. I really love the scene he's talking about from Firewalk With Me. That's such a well-executed scene in Firewalk With Me, where she says goodbye to James. And he says that she was talking about Bob. Or Bobby. Mm-hmm. But was that Bob that she was talking about? I forget. The no, story. she's kind of talking about a bunch of stuff, but Bobby did kill a guy. Bobby killed a guy? Bobby killed a guy? Yeah, in that drug deal gone wrong. Oh, I forgot about the drug. I mean, yeah. I slept through it. I sleep through a lot of things. You do. <laughs> the music is too soothing. <laughs> he says she was acting weird, but then she had perfect clarity at one point. Donna says she knew her better than Laura thought she did. They kiss. James is sorry, not sorry about the kiss. Mind is such a silly way to say that. 
His mind moves very slow. He has to yeah. narrate the entire <laughs> direction. Well, just like it would be in. a little more romantic if that's what he's going for, to say, like, actually, I'm not sorry. But, like, I changed my mind. <laughs> I was sorry, and now I'm not. Shut up, James. Shut up, James. <laughs> You've got to shut the fuck up, James. James starts to take Donna home. They're stopped by Agent Cooper. What goes around comes around. <laughs> <laughs> he hasn't done anything. She's probably right. James, stand away from the bike. Stand away from the girl. Put your hands behind your head. You can't do anything. Probably right. Yeah, I think that's <laughs> the, when, when Harry... The look like, Harry gives yeah. Coop when he says that. He's like, what the fuck are we doing here? <laughs> He's like, why is everybody innocent? Can we just arrest somebody? <laughs> right. I really want to arrest that somebody. That is how cops like to work. Right. Doc Cameron is so sweet in that car scene with Donna when he picks her up till he does that low-key burn on Laura where he's like we're so grateful to have a daughter like you who doesn't get murdered (laughs) (laughs) like it was her fault what's up with that Doc Hayward Cooper and Truman sit down for donuts back at the station too many donuts oh my god why there's so many questions about those donuts and they attempt to answer them but they just present more questions a policeman's dream yep Lucy sets that up for us every night. Sheriff, is everything okay? There's extra jelly donuts for Agent Cooper. And there's some extra decaf, you know. Andy's been drinking so much caffeinated coffee lately. Thank you, Lucy. Every night, Lucy sets out. I kind of started to count them, but I look. There's like 20 old-fashioned donuts, 8 powdered donuts, 12 chocolate donuts, and then whatever those weird round things are at the back. Maple bar. Maple Maple, maple, maple rounds. Maple, maple, maple pancakes. So many. Maple she puts them out the night before. She buys donuts late in the day. Right. What? And puts them out for the morning. It's a strange system. So weird. It's what just leaves them out. It's like, a crime. Not, this not thing is a crime against it's not donut in crime. The I cannot do this to donuts. Don't take them out of the box if you're going to do that, you know? Yeah. At least in the box, they'll kind of huddle together for moisture. They'll still not be as good the next morning, though. She's getting a really good deal on day-old donuts. Because they're poor. It's the end of, yeah, it's like the police budget. I mean, that's why she can get 40 donuts. Well, then I really worry for this donut shop that they have so many donuts left at the end of the day. They make too many donuts. Every day. They shouldn't make so many donuts. Do you think they're from the R&R? The double R, you mean? The double R. <laughs> they don't think they do donuts there. I think it's a specific donut shop that is not Just doing very well. Has too, <laughs> too many donuts. Coop goes off to check into the Great Northern. Bobby and Mike bark at James, yes. <laughs> which I approve of. Right. <laughs> James just sits there like, what? Josie does something that we expect she does all the time where she pretends like there's a prowler <laughs> and Harry comes up to check it out. She's fooling nobody. Catherine's on the phone. He's here again. Let's get together and talk about it. All right. And it's Ben Horn. Harry and Josie look out at the log and talk about how this time 24 hours ago is probably when Laura was being murdered. We have another stoplight transition. Of course, Sarah Palmer is falling asleep with a lit cigarette on the couch. And uh, she has a little vision of a gloved hand finding the necklace. And when she wakes up screaming, there's a man in the mirror. 
To black. Yeah, yeah. We made it to the end of that episode. It's a long episode. Yeah. And famously, that shot of Bob in the mirror was an accident. That was Frank Silva, the set decorator. And he was in the mirror, and David Lynch loved it and wrote a lot of the show around that one little mistake. So that's pretty cool insight into David Lynch's yeah. process. Ladies and gentlemen, the Roadhouse is proud. Welcome. And now I want to do the awards. We have the ACAB award. What's your pick for the ACAB award, Amy? Jeez, where do I start? Probably Harry with the no connection, how he was so sure there was no connection. Was like... <laughs> yeah. What about you, Brigus? Well, I'm going to give it to Coop. I think we can't usually give it to Coop. So we'll do hmm. this first episode, when he's not quite in character, but I think his interrogation of Bobby is a little snarky. I think he should be more respectful of Bobby. Mm -hmm. Especially since he already knows he didn't do it. I don't mind him being mad at Bobby when Bobby's being a jerk. But I, I think like Bobby kind of tones it down later, and Coop is still kind of right as Jock a little bit more than I want him to be. And also, this guy is like 17 years old, and right. his girlfriend just died right. that morning. I have a little bit of sympathy for him. It'll be a rare Coop ACAP moment. I'm so... Not into Truman yelling at Andy for crying. I'd... Oh, right. LVP. Now, LVP is James notwithstanding. Yes. So not... It could never be James. Right. Yeah. Because it's, it's always James. It. Okay. <laughs> uh, my LVP is Harry. He's so yeah. Every turn. That's not, you didn't know Laura Palmer. No connection. <laughs> <laughs> It's also strange at the very beginning when Pete calls and says she's dead, wrapped in plastic, and Harry just says where, but he doesn't ask who. Yes, I always find that interesting. Where? I mean, I guess it's like the next step is to just get up there. Right, but the way Pete, and Pete doesn't have an answer for who, know. but it's strange mm. that he says it that way. He would say who yeah. first. Right. You would. I guess it's probably not really economical in a script. Who? I don't know. Okay, I'll be right there. <laughs> it's definitely the David Lynch style to have economy with the script. I just <laughs> said she's wrapped in plastic. I couldn't tell. Okay. We've got for time because we need the time to know how much Coop's lunch costs. I found her by the log. The log on the beach. What log? Where I was going to go fishing. <laughs> Foghorn. <laughs> <laughs> Do you have an LVP, Bugos? I'm not going to give it to Norma. I don't like Aww. her. I don't like her line delivery. Making <laughs> time. Making time. I think like time. You can't. That was making time. It's pretty cringy. Oh, I love it. I'm on the don't like that dialogue island. With the, the old timey <laughs> banter of those three. <laughs> it doesn't, I don't I, love it. I find that scene very charming. I don't know. Very Scary or I'm, glad, yeah, I'm glad that doesn't become something Twin Peaks has to have. Every episode has to have anachronistic dialogue. Every episode does have some anachronistic dialogue, but I'll like look, not as much. I'll this one's pretty it. heavy. Bobby constantly uses old manisms. It's really interesting. Yeah, it really is. He's like an old timey scamp. <laughs> yeah. yes. That's his that's his story arc. He likes to scurry. He scurries around. He hurries and scurries. 
Uh, my it worry. <laughs> it is fat chance is kind of a funny thing to say. You know, that's <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's a lot great. of it, I think, is because that's they right. can't yeah. swear because right. teens would just be swearing mostly, I think. But that's true. These teens have to swear like yeah. they're in the music, man. <laughs> so is your old man. My LVP is Mike. I just hate Mike. Oh, yeah. Mike is the worst. Mike is just one of my least favorite characters in all of Twin Peaks. I mean, I guess he's perfect... In the sense that he's a stereotypical shitty jock. He's supposed to be a bad guy. His yeah. name is Snake. That's his, like, oh, pet name. Know. Bobby, like... His pet name? They have pet names. Oh, yeah? Yeah. Bobby and Mike have pet names for each other. I never understood why Snake was his nickname. Maybe he has a really long, skinny dick. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Or a birthmark. The shape of a long, skinny dick. <laughs> On his dick. On his dick. That's probably it. <laughs> Or a big tattoo of a snake, like Snake Plitzkin. <laughs> <laughs> I thought that was a birthmark. I've heard both ways. <laughs> oh, dear. The ceiling fan award, I'm calling it, oh. for the scariest moment. Oh. Obviously, for this episode, I want to give it to the ceiling fan. <laughs> Does anyone have a different one? It really freaks me out with the fingernail. You, mm-hmm. you know, even though she's dead. And then I never had never noticed that you saw Bob in the mirror before, so that was those are my two because I didn't notice that till this time. Yeah, that's pretty scary. And those letters are really embedded in the fingernails, like they're way down there. It goes deep with those tweezers. What about you? The the donuts bite them. (laughs) That's the scariest thing for you. I hate it when people (laughs) have donuts, old donuts. Never eat an old donut, people. It's a waste. Eat fresh donuts. They make them every day. That's when you eat. That's a good point, because they're so bad for you. Like, you might as well right. be eating a really good they're donut not or a fresh for donut. You to a day. They're just as bad. They just don't taste good. No, that's fair. You have to hate yourself to eat day old donuts. <laughs> just don't do it. Make the trip. Go get a fresh donut. Fish in the Perk Later Award. <laughs> I'm calling it for the funniest moment. My funny is the Would You Leave Us Please? And he says, Jim. <laughs> Will you leave us alone, please? Would you leave us, please? Jim. Uh, would you leave us alone, please? Oh, sure. That is very funny. <laughs> <laughs> and unscripted funny. I love it. You're going to hate this, Burgos, but I really love the making time line. <laughs> it's very funny to me. I thought the only time you cared about Bonnie was making time. <laughs> well, comedy can be subjective. That's true. I think Lucy explained which phone she's transferring <laughs> to talk to. The little table. <laughs> Coop's the love of the trees. Yeah. It's pretty good. And his transition from Douglas Furs to the coroner's report is pretty good. Although I guess the log lady exchange is also really funny. Yeah. <laughs> it's that lady with the log. We call her the log lady. <laughs> and then finally, the final word, MVP. The MVP of the episode will always be Coop notwithstanding, because right. Coop is the sort of default MVP. Right. So the secondary MVP... Amy, what's your pick? Oh, gosh. I guess my secondary MVP for this one is Sarah. Same. (laughs) (laughs) No explanation. No, go ahead. Uh, I mean, just how we're first introduced to her with her frustrated, but still Laura Sweetie and how she says the thing I can tell by the sound. It's not her. I mean, just every every moment with her is just hit so hard. She's phenomenal. An interesting fun fact about Grace Sabrisky is that she was shooting Wild at Heart at the same time as this pilot, and her character in Wild at Heart could not be more different than, than Sarah Palmer. 
She plays Juana Durango, the insane assassin, who is turned on by shooting Harry Dean Stanton in the head. Ah, right. Very different characters. Isabella Rossini's mom, right? Yeah. I didn't even realize they were the same person <laughs> for a long time. <laughs> it's really amazing. Yeah. yeah, she's definitely my MVP, too. I think she's just such a phenomenal actor and... Just one of the best actors in an episode full of pretty good actors. She really is. And she doesn't really do much in her career. There's so many people who are not actors who end up being in the show. That's what I was going to say. That'd be a good way to break into acting is just kind of show up to the set of Twin Peaks and accidentally <laughs> right. get on film. But it wouldn't be a yeah. career because so many of those people never have anything. Doesn't lead to anything yeah, else Nobody who reason. is in this really has much of a career. Well, that's not exactly true, but... I'm kind of going <laughs> There's some exact... But he already had a career. Like, yeah. he was... In mm-hmm. some stuff before this. Right. I mean, they're all Maybe character Laura actors. Laura Flynn Boyle is somebody who did have some work after this. Yeah. Dana Ashbrook, Major Dynamic. They're all in stuff. They're, they're all in lots. I mean, they're character actors. They, they keep working. Ray Wise. They just keep working. Ray Wise. They're pretty is steadily great. working. But I mean, there's definitely the Lynch connection. She's so good. It's just surprising she's not in anything else. Besides Flynn's stuff. I guess he, he keeps calling her. That this, like, right. yeah. That's what they do. Yes. Maybe working with him is so good that you don't want to work with anyone else it seems yeah. to be yeah, the case everybody like. who works with him is just like oh david <laughs> how do you explain working with david it's just the best thing ever <laughs> do you have an mvp my mvp is jack vance oh. mm, that's a he good, really has good hardly anything to do but everything he does is very memorable <laughs> every line he says is just like <laughs> i could probably recite them all because he only says like three things in the episode He's very much a Twin Peaks resident, I guess. You know? like, <laughs> it, wouldn't be, it wouldn't be Twin Peaks without Jack Dance. No. The thing I'm most interested in is hearing about the weird shit. Yeah, and there's not that much weird shit in this first there's episode. Much, yeah, so is there any weird shit in this first episode? Sarah having a vision is kind of weird. Like, she's not dreaming. Jacoby is picking up that Do necklace. Do you think she's screaming about Jacoby picking up that rock? Like, doesn't seem like something she would have a vision about. That's happening simultaneously? I think, yeah, I think it's like, like a red hair. showing that mm. it's happening, but that's not what she's right. seeing. I mean, there's a lot of screaming. Right, in, from her. <laughs> well, and also in Twin Peaks in general. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah Laura's screams are great. There's that accidental bob in the mirror. But yeah, not really any other supernatural stuff at all in the first episode. Just, no. like, atmospheric stuff. And the trees, I mean, the trees in retrospect, or mm-hmm. supernatural-ish. Cooper is kind of a supernaturally intuitive. Mm-hmm. I believe he's completely psychic. That, like My theory is, unrelated to anything that happens to the peaks, he happens to be a psychic as well. There's definitely a lot of evidence to support right. that theory. And he does that later. <laughs> like, he does a lot more stuff to show it. But in this yeah. episode, he already instantly knows who hasn't killed Laura Palmer. Yeah, Instantly just being in the Joey same room. not the room. person that Donna is here to see. It's true. There's no way can. he would know any of these things. So they never feel like they need to explain how Cooper right. is psychic. You know, or he knows how to hit, like, to hit an 18 at one-eyed jacks. <laughs> yeah. yeah, you would never do that. Right. <laughs> like, that is I, fully But I know it's a, a three, <laughs> and it is. Yeah. Yeah, no, I completely agree with that. Yeah. That's the weirdest shit what's, part. Really what's weirdest, weirdest shit? And like, I want to talk about the weirdest shit shit because I want mm-hmm. to know what all I slept through. <laughs> yeah. wanna, and I want to hear your theories. All right. Because you've done the research. You will. So I can't wait to hear what is going on in Twin Peaks. Because most episodes I'm like, I don't understand <laughs> what just happened. There's so much. So many details. That's why we're doing this. <laughs> That's why. We could study this forever. <laughs> I'll be listening. Aww. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> Thanks for being on. 
You'll be watching lots more Twin Peaks with me. <laughs> really Weird Stuff is hosted by Annie Malone and Jessica Baxter. Music by Julie Cruz, Angelo Badalamente, and Jessica Baxter. If you enjoyed Really Weird Stuff, please take a minute to rate and review us on your favorite podcast app. Follow us on Instagram at Really Weird Stuff Pod, on Twitter at Really Weird Pod, and on Facebook at Really Weird Stuff Podcast. Thank you for listening.